facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Kale Clark Show. I'm Father, I'm not Kale Clark, I'm Father Matthew Spencer. I'm really pleased to be sitting in for Kale. I, I'm, uh, I'm always honored when I get a call or a text from, from Kale saying, hey, I'm going to be away for a little bit. Do you want to step up and, and help me out here? And boy, am I glad to be with you today. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Uh, you're most welcome to join the conversation. I'm thinking about Portugal. I'm thinking about Lisbon, actually. We know that the Pope is there right now. Uh, the World Youth Day events are in full swing. And I've been to two World Youth Days. I was in Toronto in 2002. It was a fantastic experience. It was, it was right before I entered the seminary. And in fact, I, I had already... I wouldn't say decided, but I had already become convinced that that I needed to at least apply and needed to at least try out seminary life. And going to Toronto and seeing John Paul II and getting to be strengthened and encouraged in my faith. Uh, also, I spent the days in the diocese, which is the week before the week of World Youth Day. Uh, I went to Montreal and I got to go to the oratory of St. Joseph there, uh, of course, founded by St. Andre Bassett. And here I am, an oblate of St. Joseph now. I, I live in Santa Cruz, California, and minister at the Shrine of St. Joseph in Santa Cruz. So I see these connections back to my time over 20 years ago now in Toronto. But I'm also thinking about the first World Youth Day I went to which in some ways was was more life-changing, if I could compare them that way. It was happening at a little more dramatic time in my life. I went to Rome in the year 2000 for the Jubilee year. Uh, here's the interesting thing for me. I mean, I was at such a different place in my life. I was right about to graduate. I have one semester left, the fall semester, which I was going to finish up and then begin this really uh, anticipated career in software, which seems like a million years ago now. I was uh, had a girlfriend and planning to start a family, hoping to start a family, and my whole—I mean, my whole perspective in life was was so different than what it is now. Not all bad. I'm not trying to say I was a terrible sinner or a bad person at the time. Uh, but I was certainly uh, not asking the Lord what he wanted of me, if you know what I mean. Uh, I had been spending so much time telling God what I wanted and telling the Lord what I was going to accomplish and do that I just hadn't been listening to him. I hadn't been really asking him. So when I was invited to World Youth Day in the year 2000, I said yes, but it wasn't to have an encounter with Jesus. It wasn't to really grow in my faith. It was because my friends were going. It was because my girlfriend was planning to go. It was because I wanted to go to Italy. I'd never traveled to Europe prior to that. So I got on a plane, went over there with a big group of, of young people, 
can I tell you something? I was so blown away. I mean, just from every angle, spiritually, I was challenged. Uh, intellectually, I just was overwhelmed by by the catechesis that we received, by the the, the people who were around me, which just were amazing. Um, I just had this amazing experience. In fact, we know that World Youth Day is going on in Lisbon right now. And I was thinking to this uh, of this experience that I had in Rome. I, I, maybe you haven't been to a World Youth Day, but w- what's interesting, what happens is you, you usually go there the week before the week of World Youth Day. And you try to with your pilgrims and you, you're not necessarily in the host city, but you'll go and you'll spend uh, a week doing service projects and receiving catechesis in somewhere in the host country. Uh, so in, in my case, we were in the Milan area and we were, um, you know, being hosted by, by families. And then we were going around and helping feed the poor. And it was neat. It was, it was moving and it was, um, it was also challenging. And we were receiving some catechesis from, from English speaking, you know, individuals. Well, eventually we end up in Rome for the wor- for the week of World Youth Day. And then what happens is there are all these significant events during that week leading up to the grand finale of the Saturday vigil and then the Sunday celebration of Holy Mass with, with the Holy Father. And as we're leading up to this, the spiritual battle around me is, is intensifying. I could just tell, I mean, like I could see that God was pushing me towards him, pulling me towards him and challenging me in not only the sins that maybe I had let creep into my life, but even just the direction that my life had been going. Uh, So there I was, eventually made it to Rome. Uh, I remember I was having lunch with my girlfriend at the time we were in some uh, some little alley in rome at this small little hole in the wall restaurant uh, and we were breaking up i mean we had been talking about the future of our relationship for a while Uh, we knew that maybe it wasn't going to work out long term she was from a different country and i knew that i was going to have to be back in the states and we didn't really know how all that was going to work out and also, I, I think she started to realize even before I did that maybe our vocations were not what we thought and maybe some time apart would help clarify this. Uh, so there we were leading up to World Youth Day and my life is kind of in disarray. And there I am breaking up with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and then we're going to have to spend some time together still, right? <laughs> World Youth Day with a lot of other pilgrims. But we we just couldn't ignore what was right before us. And then we get to the vigil. And the vigil takes place on Saturday. And they carted all of the youth out to this huge grassy area outside of Rome called Tor Vergata. Uh, just the, this massive place where the 3 million extra people who came to, was it 3 million extra people that just, maybe it was a million. I forget now. My fishing stories are, you know, over time, these things expand. Anyway, lots of kids and we all get there and you're assigned a certain spot in Torre Vergata. And of course there's the main stage, 
and they have to accommodate, you know, a million extra people out there. And so they put the different groups in different parts. Well, wouldn't you know it? Our group is assigned all the way in the back. I mean, all the way, the furthest away from the stage and the the main venue, as you could imagine. At least that's how I felt. Again, maybe I'm exaggerating here, but there I was thinking, oh, you got to be kidding me. We have to be way back here. And they did have some large screens set up for us to watch what was happening at the main event. But who wants to watch a big screen? I wanted to be right there, close to the action. And I wanted to be seeing the Holy Father up close and personal. Add to this the fact that I just broke up with my girlfriend. Add to this the fact that my life was a little bit, a little bit thrown into some chaos because I was really didn't know where where all of the where the Lord was what the Lord was doing with me and all of this. And then of course I'm there at the vigil, just. Uh, bemoaning the situation that I find myself in, probably complaining and laying on the ground, exhausted from two weeks of pilgrimage, thinking, ah, this is just my luck. This is just how everything always goes, isn't it? It's always like this. Always this happens to me. Uh, You you don't ever do that. I know you don't ever do that, but that's where I was. When all of a sudden, it was in the early afternoon, we see a helicopter circling over us. Now, this is protected airspace, right? I mean, you got all of these kids and all of these young people, not to mention the Pope is going to come. And very quickly we realize, well, the reason that helicopter is allowed is because that's the Pope, right? It was the the Pope's entourage or, or uh, helicopter that had brought him from the center of, of, of the Vatican City. And he, he um, wanted to see the youth. And so he circled around once or twice over us. And all of us were cheering and pointing and excited. And then, then he disappeared. And then it passed. And an hour went by, maybe. A long time goes by. And things are quieted down again. And we're just waiting for the events to start, which are not planned to start for a few hours. When all of a sudden, I start to hear this this little bit of commotion behind me and to my left as I'm facing the stage, which is so far away, I need a telescope to see it, right? Just in case I didn't mention that to you. And I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm just enjoying getting to relive this here. So yeah, I hear this commotion behind us. And I turn around and I see just way off in the distance, I see some motion. Uh, And there's a main road, of course, that goes from way in the back somewhere to the front of the stage. And somehow the few neurons that I have were firing. And I realized, I think that's the Pope. I mean, he landed back there. That's probably his entourage that's now traveling in the Pope mobile, moving from where he landed hopefully processing up to the front, getting ready now for the vigil. So I decide I'm going to run to the road and I'm going to see if I can catch a glimpse of him. Uh, There were no trees to climb. There aren't any trees in Torre Vergata that I saw. Otherwise, I might be climbing up them uh, like Zacchaeus, trying to get a glimpse of, in this case, the Pope. Uh, so I just started running and I started running towards this road. It was off to my left 
And there, by that point, the space had uh, started filling up with some other youth. So I guess we weren't maybe all the way in the back. And as I was running, I started uh, realizing I better get there more quickly. And I started realizing this could be a once in a lifetime moment. And I, I start booking it and I'm jumping over other youth there. I'm you know, dodging people who are standing up and, and uh, miss, pa- by, passing by tents and things like this. And then I get to this road and, and it seems like I'm the only one that, that's right there at the side, of, at the barricade at the road. I, I don't know, I'm sure there were other people there, but it seems like not a lot of people had the same maybe intuition that I had that that commotion might be the Pope. And I'm standing there looking back towards the back of the of Torre Vergata and I don't see anything looking towards the front where the stage is somewhere way off there uh, and and I wait there for for a few minutes when all of a sudden I hear this screaming off to my left back where the Pope had landed and the Pope mobile appears out of nowhere kind of coming over this little rise at Torre Vergata and all of a sudden it hits me, the Pope's right there. And I, I, I'd never seen the Pope up close like that. I'd never, I'd never been to St. Peter's. I'd never been to a Wednesday audience. I was what, 22 at the time. And I, I realized my goodness, I think the Pope's coming and sure enough, he comes. And by this point, people are starting to run to the road, but I'm standing kind of on my own at the barricade wondering is is he going to pass by right here is there another road where is everybody shouldn't there be masses of crowds and sure enough the pope comes right by me john paul ii he looks down at me he didn't slow down i think he wanted to say hi but his security detail wouldn't let him stop and and chat he he looks at me our eyes lock and he he does this gives me a little blessing little blessing one hand it was the coolest moment of those two weeks of my life, and it made the whole thing worth it because we didn't exchange any words, but I almost had, it felt like this one-on-one encounter with the Pope at World Youth Day in Rome. You know, I mean, the reason I'm elaborately sharing this story with you is, to me, it kind of encapsulate what, what World Youth Day is really about like why is it that that the church will spend so much time so much energy many resources why is it that people will make such a great sacrifice of time of their own money to travel of their own energies i mean it's exhausting to go it's difficult to travel it's of course expensive depending on where you're coming from the world it's not just to travel and see some beautiful place as, as great as it is, as it was to see Rome. The real purpose of World Youth Day is for our young people and our older people to grow in faith, to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, to come to know him better and to know our relationship with him better, uh, to be encouraged in the faith, especially by the church herself, you know, to, to, to see the Pope and be taught by him is, is very moving. There's something really incredible about getting the privilege of listening to the Vicar of Christ on earth. 
but also to be encouraged in faith by those of, by your peers who have also made a great sacrifice to come and to be there. Uh, we, we do this because it's a beautiful, shared, common experience, right? It's also because it's a pilgrimage. You know, it was really hard to, to go both times. When I went to Rome, when I went to Toronto, these were hard experiences. I mean, to travel was difficult and there were delays and uh, connections that were missed, uh, at least with buses in my case. There were uh, times when you didn't get the food you wanted or the food that you got was, uh, was not what you had hoped for. Uh, there were, uh, there was exhaustion and in Rome, it was extremely hot. It was hard to get around. I mean, the metros were constantly flooded with masses and masses of people. Uh, all of this I'm saying because it's a pilgrimage. I mean, it's not a vacation and it's not meant to be a vacation. Uh, it's a, it's an opportunity to journey in our faith, to walk through the spiritual life that we have and to grow closer to the Lord. And I really hope and I pray that this is what's happening with our young people in Lisbon right now. That they're having this encounter with Jesus, right? That they're having this, this great experience of meeting the Lord. Will there be hardship? Yeah. Will everybody get to see Pope Francis up close and personal? No, unfortunately not. Some people, I just saw some pictures before I hopped on this program with you. Some people get to go to confession to the Pope. That's pretty, pretty impressive, pretty incredible. Uh, but no, a lot of people just get to see him from miles away. Uh, but it will be worth it if you come to know Jesus better. I have to say to you, I probably wouldn't be a priest if it wasn't for those experiences. I mean, my faith life would have not grown in the way that it did. My faith life would have not developed. So thanks be to God for that. Let's keep praying for Pope Francis and for all of the, the many youth from your church, from your parish, from your diocese, from all around the world who are gathering in Lisbon. I'm Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Cale Clark. Very happy to be with you. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Going to take a quick time out and I'm happy to uh, continue our conversation here on Relevant Radio. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. This is Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Kale Clark. Really glad to be with you uh, to share this time together. We'll jump to the phones here. Kathy is calling from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to The Patrick Madrid Show. Hi, Father. It's so so good to hear your testimony. I mean, it is it is breathtaking. I got I got you know tired of I got I just got you know worn out. You know, picturing all this happening. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to say that you know maybe maybe you should uh, 
look into having like an action movie made of your your journey as a, to become a priest. <laughs> you know, get somebody to start it that you know wears yeah. a cape or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. It's a great story, and a priest, you know, that has that kind of story can spark so many things in people that are that are priests that are lay people, and it's it's just a beautiful thing that God is doing. Um, so I just wanted to say that, and and that you know the pilgrimage that you were you know talking about, you know it's like God is really orchestrating everything, and it's just mm. it's mind-boggling because I'll go outside in the morning and feed my birds, you know, in the bird mm. feeder, and then I'll sit there and watch them, and it's like I think to myself as I look at the trees in the sky, I think, dear God, I mean, you created like everything, and. I'm up. I'm like in on this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. We're you so know? blessed, aren't we, Kathy? I mean, we yeah, th- I know. Thank you, thank you for sharing. You know, it's a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible experience. World Youth Day. I think precisely because of what you're pointing out, Kathy. It's like, it's like a smaller experience of the rest of life. You know, it's it's this pilgrimage that we participate in that is very much like the pilgrimage of life. You know, it's, there are exciting moments. There are great moments of camaraderie. There are difficult moments. There are very sad moments in which we, we experience our failings sometimes. And we experience our poor, maybe, um, choices that, you know, have need God's mercy. Uh, but in all of that, we get to feel so blessed as you're pointing out. I mean, we get to feel this experience of getting to be part of God's plan. And, um, and that's just amazing, isn't it? Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate, appreciate you calling in. Um, I I mean, this is what really, um, challenged me, I think in my, my, my spiritual life at the time, especially in the year 2000, also in 2002, when I was in Toronto, I mean, world youth days really made me ask, well, how seriously am I taking my faith? I mean, how, how how seriously am I going to live this out? And I, um, I, I had the experience, as I think many youth do, that I wasn't living it out seriously enough, that there was a lot more that I still had to do. Uh, and what's powerful, I think, is that all of those youth that are in Lisbon right now are going to come home, and they're going to be fired up. They're going to be excited about the encounter. They're going to be grateful for what they experienced. And I, I hope and pray that they will be received back into their parishes, back into their communities by people who also want to to grow in that way, who also want to share in that way, right? So keep praying for for all those young people. Yeah, I appreciate appreciate that perspective, Kathy. Uh, let's, uh, let's uh, shift gears today uh, or at this moment. You know that today is a feast of a very special saint, St. John Vianney. Uh, who is the patron saint of parish priests. Um, he was highlighted by Pope Benedict just a few years ago when Pope Benedict XVI named him as the patron for the year of the priest. And so there were many publications that came out about St. John Vianney. Uh, then, uh, not only from Pope Benedict himself, who was writing about St. John Vianney and encouraging you and me to know more about St. John Vianney, uh, but also other authors who investigated his life a little bit more, who published things in some languages that didn't have many resources at all about the life of St. John Vianney. Every year on August 4th, we remember St. John Vianney. 
And this year in particular, I think it's rather special because of St. John Vianney's devotion to our Eucharistic Lord. I mean, here in the U.S., you know, on the Feast of Corpus Christi just uh, last month, our bishops began this three-year Eucharistic revival. Uh, Relevant Radio, of course, is a proud sponsor of the Eucharistic Congress that's coming up next year. What what an amazing event that's going to be. How important it is for all of us to grow in our understanding of the Eucharist. Uh, what's interesting to me was that when John Vianney is ordained and then he arrives at in ours at this small little this small little parish, I think the town had, if I'm remembering correctly, 280 inhabitants. Uh, I mean, tiny compared to the towns where our parishes are these days. Uh, Saint John Vianney, that first Sunday that he he celebrated Mass. I think there were a lot of curious people who wanted to see who this new priest was. Uh, But only that first Sunday. Then after that, uh, a lot of those people just never came back, or or at least next week didn't come back. Uh, Why? Because they weren't accustomed to coming to church on Sunday. Their their faith life was really suffering, uh, which is part of the the challenge that St. John Vianney faced. He He had to enter ours, and he realized very quickly the level of evangelization that was going to be necessary there for the people of ours. Uh, and how did he do that? Well, I think what was really challenging for, for St. John Vianney is he came from a background where he had to really fight for his Catholic freedom, for his religious freedom. I mean, here he was living at the tail end of the French Revolution, uh, his family was having to participate in Mass in a clandestine way. Uh, the Mass was not being allowed to be celebrated, and they made many sacrifices in order to, to be at Mass. Uh, and can you imagine, within a few short years, now he's in a town where there's just apathy. I mean, people are not interested in Mass. They're not interested in their faith. They're not interested in the demands and the disciplines of, of of religion and what does he do he starts this this entire transformation of his parish and i really think it's through the eucharist that he does this uh, it's through the eucharist and his his priorities around the eucharist that become so central to how faith explodes and blossoms again in ours i mean for example we know that St. John Vianney famously would spend hours and hours and hours in the confessional. Uh, a practice, by the way, which is very hard to do. Uh, there's something extremely taxing. I can tell you this as a priest. There's something extremely taxing and tiring about being in the confessional. And I think it's a, it's a natural thing. It, there's, there's the supernatural battle that's happening, of course, which I'm sure can take take a lot out of us. But... It's also just, um, it's rather exhausting to be attentive to people for that long of a time, to listen very actively, to try and see things more clearly. And it's also not one person that provides over the course of, say, 12 hours. It's not just one person's experience. You're dealing with people from all kinds of different backgrounds. So every few minutes, 
the tenor of the conversation changes, the subtleties that need to be handled in the confessional changes. And there's something challenging about that, not to belabor the point, but it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. When I, when I, I remember reading about St. John Vianney before I was ordained a priest spending 12 hours in the confessional, for example. And I remember thinking, Oh man, I, I'm going to love doing that. That's going to be amazing to do. I mean, what, what better way to spend my day? Um, I've never spent 12 hours in the confessional. Partly that's because the priests these days have, have a whole host of things that we have to get done that, um, that, uh, fall on, on, on our responsibility. We have marriage prep, we have sick calls, we have masses to celebrate and funerals. We have all these, uh, parish groups that are happening that we have to be present to, uh, but I'm not trying to say that's the excuse. The other reason I haven't done it is it's very hard. It's very hard to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably the longest stint I've ever done is about four hours in confession. And um, yeah, by the end of that, your your brain is like mush. You know, it's hard to think straight because, you know, you've just been paying attention to people for, for so long. And at least in my case, especially as... A, a person that tends towards introversion, uh, I find myself, I just need to be alone and I just need to, you know, be recharge my batteries somehow that way. Uh, but why did St. John Vianney spend all of this time in the confessional? Uh, of course, it led to growth and sanctity for him. Of course, it led to people being forgiven of their sins. Uh, but also in, in a very special way, he was trying to prepare people for the Eucharist. He was trying to prepare people so that they could receive the Eucharistic Lord at communion. Of course, we need confession to do that. We need to be prepared to go to confession. And St. John Vianney was, was so ready to do that. Um, he also, of course, would prioritize the Lord's day. So when he arrived in ours, there's uh, a lot of people who aren't observing uh, Sunday as a day of rest. And maybe they just didn't have the catechesis they should have. Maybe they just felt like it wasn't important for them anymore. Maybe they felt like their financial uh, responsibilities were too great and they just had to, uh, they, they had to complete their work that day. Whatever the excuse or the pretext or the explanation might be, St. John Vianney would often preach to people and encourage them to rest and make holy the Lord's day, to prioritize our relationship with the Lord. Why is that? It's so that people would be prepared for Mass, so that they would have a, a very worthy and uh, productive experience in Mass, one that would lead to great fruit in their life. Uh, and one that would lead them to an encounter with the Eucharist, one that would help them to, to be ready to enter into the sacrament of the reception of Holy Communion. Um, I mean, St. John Vianney, we could go on. St. John Vianney, to me, is, is amazing. Uh, yes, for priests. Yes, he's amazing as an example for, for priests. But I think he's an, he's an amazing example for people in many different walks of, of life. Uh, because of his complete dedication to the Lord, because of the gift of self that he would just pour out to the Lord for the people that were entrusted to his care. Maybe you're married. 
maybe you have children, and maybe you think, well, what could I learn from St. John Vianney? He was a celibate man. He was a priest. He doesn't necessarily uh, have the same example for a spouse that, that you might need. What I see uh, actually is somebody who has such great dedication to his vocation, who would be willing to give all of his time, all of his waking hours in service of, of his vocation and the people entrusted to him. And isn't that also what marriage is about? Uh, giving yourself completely for the sanctification of your spouse and your children, being there for your spouse and your children so that they might also grow in faith, they might also grow in their encounter with the Lord, they might also be ready to to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. I mean, even though maybe we're, you're not a priest, I think St. John Vianney, whom we celebrate today, provides this powerful witness and example for, for all of us because of his great dedication to the Lord, his great commitment to the spiritual life, and then, of course, his love of the Eucharist. And, and I really hope that as we're embarking upon these, these months and years of Eucharistic revival in the church, I pray that this might bear a lot of fruit in your life and in mine. Uh, but I think if that's going to happen, it's not going to, I mean, we can't just be passive, uh, uh, passive observers of what the church is doing. We can't just say, oh, in Indianapolis next year, there's going to be a great Congress. Okay, great. That's nice. Maybe I'll get to watch a tiny bit of it on TV. No, we have to say, maybe I could participate. Maybe I could go there. Maybe I could get involved. Maybe I could help out. Uh, we can't just say, well, I want to grow in my love for the Eucharist, but I'm not going to spend any more time in adoration. I'm not going to spend any more time than I'm doing now because, well, I'm just busy. I don't have a, a lot of more time to give. I would say if we expect to grow in these ways, we have to have to give that time. Um, in fact, it's Pope Francis who just, uh, was it today or yesterday, was talking about adoration to the young people at World Youth Day. And he was talking about it with so much urgency. I mean, he was talking to the Portuguese clergy, the religious, the many workers who were there who were helping organize World Youth Day. And he said this, he said, only in adoration, only before the Lord, can the taste and passion for evangelization be recovered. And yet, he said, we have lost the prayer of adoration. I mean, the logical conclusion of this is that if we're not in adoration, then our efforts at evangelization are going to be for naught. If we're not going before the Lord and, and spending time in adoration, either with the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance in Eucharistic adoration, or even the, the Blessed Sacrament reposed in the tabernacle and just us and the Lord there present in a quiet church without much, um, without much solemnity, perhaps, and yet the Lord is there. We can adore Him. And if we do that, according to Pope Francis, right? the taste and passion for evangelization will be recovered. And we will be empowered and strengthened to go out and share the gospel with others. I really see this in the life of St. John Vianney, and I really think it's something for us to think about, especially, I think, because of these parallels 
of his focus on the Eucharist, his attention to to the Eucharist and our own uh, that that needs to happen in our time. Okay, I'm Father Matthew Spencer. Really happy to be sitting in for Kale. I'll be back right after this. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine is the is the number to call. Feel free to give me a call. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. I'm Father Matthew Spencer. Very blessed to be sitting in for Kale just today. I think he'll be back on Monday. I'm sure he's just getting a little R&R and I'm happy to be be available in his stead. Yeah, you know, talking about confession, it, it is interesting. I'm not trying to give your... I'm not trying to excuse your priest if he's not putting in the time and the dedication he needs. But it is important to remember that your priest might be tired. You know, your confessor might be hungry. Uh, Your confessor might be going through some other things that make his attention and confession imperfect and incomplete. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to say that, um, therefore it's, it makes uh, a bad confessor. Okay. It's just that I, I notice myself, I, I'm just a human being. And sometimes you're in there and you, you zone out or you, you don't hear well, or you're hungry. And so you get frustrated more quickly than you otherwise would all kinds of different reasons. So if that happens to you in confession, um, I would say, don't take it personally. Do, do your best to not take it personally. I mean, uh, you just move on, right? You say, okay, I just I just need God's grace here. Just need to keep moving forward. Uh, 888-914-9149 is a number to call if you want to jump into the conversation. But before we finish out the show, I wanted to take a look at the upcoming feast day that we're all going to be celebrating on Sunday, the Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord. Uh, of course, this is the moment when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and goes up to Mount Tabor, goes up to the top of the mountain, and and he is transfigured before them. I mean, they start to see him as he is. Now, I would say not completely yet, because he hasn't risen from the dead, uh, not to mention who can really see the Lord as he is, right? I think, please God, once we get to heaven, we'll start to uh, look upon the Lord face to face, but will we be able to comprehend everything we see? Will we be able to to plumb the depths completely of of the beauty that is God? And 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 uh, I think I think we'll spend eternity getting to gaze upon the Lord in this way. Uh, this is a very important feast day. It's a very important event in the life of Jesus. Uh, why is that? I mean, this is not just a simple event that is uh, disposable in the life of Jesus that you could take it or leave it. Uh, In fact, in the Eastern Church especially, the Transfiguration holds such an important place. But in the Western Church as well, uh, it's one reason why the Transfiguration of the Lord was included in the luminous mysteries that St. John Paul II Uh, proposed for our devotion and for our piety. Uh, And the reason that this is the case is because the transfiguration, on the one hand, reveals to the disciples 
who Jesus is. It, it pulls back the veil uh, that now, now they're looking upon the Son of God. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, says the Father. Listen to him. Uh, they, are, they are experiencing the grandeur and the greatness and the glory of God himself. Now, again, if they saw it in its completeness, they would certainly die because they're, they're still in, in sin here. They haven't been uh, washed yet by the blood of the Lamb. But the point is, is that they're having now a deeper awareness of who Jesus is. Remember, up until this point, they've, they've tried. I mean, Peter has made his great proclamation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they realize that Jesus is rather special uh, by this point, of course, um, Peter has had an encounter with, with Jesus, not to mention the other disciples, that has moved him to follow the Lord, to leave everything behind and follow him. But they don't really know fully yet who he is before the transfiguration and before the resurrection. They think he's a great teacher, yes. They think he's an incredible uh, speaker, of course. Is he a prophet? Yeah, it seems like that. Uh, do they realize he's God yet? <laughs> it probably hasn't quite dawned on them prior to these moments, uh, right before uh, the res- right before the passion of Jesus. So the first point of the transfiguration is that Jesus is trying to impress upon Peter, James, and John who he is. And why does he do this? To prepare them for his own suffering and death to prepare them for the horror of the passion that they're going to see very shortly. I mean, this is really important because if they didn't know that Jesus was God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the son of God and has power over all of creation. If they didn't weren't aware of this, then all hope is lost at the death of Jesus. I mean, the whole plan that they had been working towards, their whole outlook and future and hope that they had invested themselves in completely would just be uh, go up in smoke at the crucifixion and death of Jesus, right? So Jesus reveals who he is at the transfiguration in order to encourage them in order to prepare them, in order to help them really to, to, um, to be able to endure the resurrection, in order to um, be able to really, um, uh, in order for them to really, um, you know, be able to continue the mission that Jesus has before them. Um, so did they, did they do that? Were they prepared for it? Well, <laughs> we can see that they're, uh, even though they had this encounter with the transfigured Jesus, even though they were, even though Jesus tried to prepare them, we can see that by the time they arrive at the Passion, they're still imperfectly prepared for all that God has in store, aren't they? Because Peter will deny Jesus three times. Peter will pull his sword out in the Garden of Olives and try to protect Jesus with violence, not realizing that none of that is is the is gonna. Uh, help further the mission of Jesus and of salvation. 
there's a lot of confusion still on their parts, uh, embodied often in the life of of Jesus. I'm sorry, of of Peter, uh, but but with all of them, in fact, there's this there's this uh, incomplete awareness of who Jesus is and of 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 the fact that he, they don't need to worry about all these troubles in their life. Now, why am I sharing all of this with you? It's, it's so interesting to me. I, I read the Transfiguration and I prepare for mass, uh, the Mass of the Transfiguration on August 6th. Uh, and I look and I think, yeah, why didn't Peter, James, and John just get it? I mean, why? They got to see Jesus as he was and they got to hear the words of the Father. And yet after that, they're still fleeing from the cross. They're still running away from the threats of the religious leaders and the civil leaders who have it out for Jesus. They're still denying Jesus. They're still locking themselves in rooms after the death of Jesus, worried about what's going to happen. I mean, they, they clearly haven't been completely convinced of all of this. And it's easy for us, it's easy for me anyway, to read the transfiguration, to scratch my head and think, boy, these guys are dense. Boy, Peter, James, and John, they just don't get it. If I were there, if that was me on Mount Tabor, I would have been completely prepared for the crucifixion and death of Jesus, right? Right? And there, there's the rub, isn't it? Here we are, you and me, 2,000 years later. Not only do we know about the transfiguration, uh, we also know about everything that transpired after it we know about the terrible things that jesus experienced we know about the darkness of the three days when he was in the tomb we know about the despair that many many of his followers experienced or at least were tempted by Uh, but you and i also know of the resurrection you see we have far more information we know far better now, 2,000 years later, who Jesus is, the power he has over sin and death, the fact that we don't need, there's nothing we need to fear, nothing. When we are living and abiding in the Lord, there's nothing that we need to fear. And yet, here we are, <laughs> and we're worried about paying the bills. We're worried about our kids going to Mass. We're worried about the relationships in our life, the livelihoods that we've created for ourselves. We, we're worried and anxious about many things, as Jesus would tell St. Martha. Even though we know, even though we know that Jesus wins in the end, that Jesus conquers in the end, that there's no reason for us to fear. There's no reason for us to lose hope. I think this is really challenging for disciples today to say we have so much more information now, so much more to ponder and experience now than Peter, James, and John did there on Mount Tabor 2,000 years ago. Uh, But it seems to me that we're still at the same spot they were afterwards. It seems to me that we're still struggling to, to really believe. 
that Jesus has revealed himself to us and not just believe that he has revealed himself to us, but believe that he is God. Believe that he is the Lord. We really struggle to believe that he cares for us, that he'll take care of us, that he won't abandon us. Uh, My sense is that even if, even if you and I ended up on a mountain this weekend and Jesus appeared to us in all of his glory, in even his resurrected body, and we heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We would walk down that mountain, we'd be overwhelmed for about 24 minutes until our phone reminded us of some commitment we had, until our social media accounts pinged us about what great, amazing thing, life-changing thing is happening around the world today. Before we got distracted by the world, and I'm sorry to say we probably wouldn't have reformed our lives as much as we would like to believe. Maybe not. Maybe we would be totally transformed and totally changed. I hope so. But I suspect that there's still a lot of growth that would need to happen and still a lot of faith that would need to be exercised and lived. I I think for me, the transfiguration uh, is this challenge. Uh, it's a, I know there's a temptation that we want to have an encounter like Peter, James, and John. If only, Lord, I could see you one time. If only, Lord, our Blessed Mother would appear to me one time. If only, Lord, the veil would be pulled back just for a short time. Then I would change everything. Then I would finally believe. Then I wouldn't despair. Then I would always hope. Uh, I don't think that it would work like that. (laughs) I think the Lord's given you and me. He's given us everything we need for faith. I don't think we need a moment like the transfiguration once again, because that already took place and it's already been become part of, of the history of our Lord and part of our whole Christian tradition. I think much more necessary is for us to focus right now in the present moment to realize how blessed we are and to live it well. Okay, what a pleasure. Thank you, Kale, for letting me sit in for you. I hope everyone listening here has a blessed weekend. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.